All right, so this morning we're going to step right into the passage. Our Advent series uh, this year is titled Peace Amid Chaos. So we've been catering particularly to that theme of peace this year while looking at the songs, as we're calling them, or the prophetic words early on in Luke's gospel. Now, the passage for this morning is the Song of Simeon, um, and the text actually comes to us after the birth of Jesus. So we're, we're a little out of order. We're going, we're going a little out of order here after Jesus' birth. But his song and the tone of his song very much expresses longings that would have been with him long before Jesus was born, long before this babe was born in Bethlehem. And the way that he reacts to the coming of Jesus, to the coming of the Christ child, is very fitting for how we can think about our own posture in this Advent season as we also await the coming of Christ. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. If you can turn there in your Bibles, um, or the words will also be up on the screen. Uh, Luke chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 22 and go to verse 35. Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 22 and going to uh, verse 35. Hear the word of the Lord. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, that a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, but just before we continue here, you might be wondering why we didn't carry on into the story of Anna. If, you, if you're familiar with the story, there's actually two individuals that meet with Jesus and the parents at the temple at this time. It's the man Simeon and then a prophetess, Anna, who was widowed for many years of her life. And it's a, a beautiful little anecdotal story. She had spent years worshiping faithfully in the temple, also waiting for the child. Now, there's no real reason that we're not touching on Anna other than the fact that we don't have time. And she didn't sing a song, so she doesn't really fit with the series. But <laughs> that's really, we just don't have time to touch on her. But she's no less significant than Simeon, okay? So I just want to clear the air there in case some of you were like, why didn't we talk about Anna? Um, okay, so what's the context here in this passage? If we look at this passage closely, we can really separate it into three parts. So that's kind of what I'm going to do this morning. The first being the backdrop of the story, so the context, and then the actual song that Simeon sings, we'll just call it a canticle for today's purposes of alliteration, and then he gives some commentary on the song, okay? So context, 
Canticle, commentary. Cool? Okay. What's the context? Mary and Joseph have taken their new little boy Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem because the Israelites had pretty strict laws on what you needed to do after a baby was born. For everyone, or for what, for starters, every firstborn son needed to be consecrated to the Lord. In other words, given to him as as sort of a, a sacred offering of some kind. And this comes out of the commandment found in Exodus 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Why would the Lord command this? Seems like a bit of a strange command to us. Well, there's a couple possible options, but I think the key to this is understanding that word consecrated. Consecrated. To consecrate is to make something holy or sacred, which implies offering to God a a kind of holy sacrifice. Well, what did all the other nations around Israel do that actually inspired them in their idolatry to also follow in their building of high places? We've, we've, we touched on this a little bit in the Jeremiah series, but it was, as horrific as it is, child sacrifice. Usually, if not always, the firstborn son. Why? Because that was the, oh, again, it's awful, but it, that was the greatest treasure, your, the greatest sacrifice that you could offer in wanting to get something out of the gods. If, if your people were in a famine or suffering greatly or the rains hadn't come in forever and you were going to lose your whole crop, often somebody would sacrifice a child in order to get from the gods what they wanted. Now, in Scripture, we do sometimes see God meeting with the Israelites in the context that they're in, you know, understanding, you know, the, 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 the culture and not necessarily seeking to change something or anything right away. We sometimes see him doing that. But in this conversation, particularly, he immediately, from the very beginning, gives Israel a different option. You will not sacrifice your children to me. If anything, what we read in scripture is that that thought never entered God's mind. It is completely a result of human sin. You will not sacrifice your children to me. You will consecrate them to me. That's the extent of it. That's all you will do, right? That's far more effective for God to do with Israel, to give them a different option rather than to simply say, don't do it, right? It's why, actually, God didn't actually ask Abraham, if you'll remember the story. God sort of nudges Abraham in that direction to sacrifice his son Isaac, his greatest treasure. But he actually doesn't get him to that point. He doesn't actually make him do it. He instead provides a replacement, if you'll remember the story. And based on what we know about Christ, we can understand why. Only one human was ever meant to be sacrificed. But we'll get to that more a little bit later. So, Mary and Joseph need to consecrate Jesus. After giving birth to Jesus, according to Leviticus 12, Mary was ceremonially unclean for seven days, and on the eighth day, Jesus would be circumcised, and then after 33 days, they were to take him to the temple to be consecrated, you know, likely once Mary was no longer bleeding and had, and had healed from the delivery. We think that birth today is messy. Imagine what it would have been like 2,000 years ago. A little extra time at home wouldn't, wouldn't have been such a bad thing. The new parents then bring two pigeons with them, which implies that they didn't actually have a ton of cash sitting in the bank account. Look at what it says in Leviticus 12. 
But if she, the mother, cannot afford a lamb, she's to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. So Jesus, in other words, was born in a very humble way and into humility in more ways than one. That's quite important, actually, for us to remember. He wasn't born in, you know, a a warm palace. What's that song, Um, Do You Hear What I Hear? In your palace, warm, mighty king. He didn't have a palace, let alone a warm one, okay? They wouldn't have been able to pay for the heating. That's not what Jesus was born into. He was born into humility. The parents and Jesus then enter into the temple, and here is where we meet Simeon. Now, we actually don't know how old Simeon is. There's always been the assumption that he's, you know, kind of up there because he's been waiting for a long time, and the Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. So the assumption has always been that he's probably close to death. But the text more importantly states in verse 25 that Simeon was righteous and devout. And that word devout has this sense of taking care of something very carefully. Almost like you're not going to take any risks with it. Sort of like walking with something down, downstairs. With, you know, you're holding something very fragile and you just don't want to drop it. Devout has, that kind of, has a sense of that to it. Simeon's not taking any risks with this one. On this promise that he'd gotten from God, he wasn't going to just move away from Jerusalem because he was tired of waiting. He wasn't going to doubt what God had assured him of. He was holding on to God's promises very tightly, very devoutly, clinging to them, handling them kind of like a precious treasure. He was devout. Why? Because he was waiting. Waiting for what? For the consolation of Israel. The comforting, in other words, of his people. The day when Israel would be made to be at peace, to be consoled. And this is significant enough for us to just pause for a second and try to wrap our minds around what the average Israelite would have thought about when they thought about the consolation of Israel. And scholar William Barclay explains this really well. He says, there was no Jew, no Jew, who did not regard his own nation as the chosen people. By far, the greater number of them believed that because the Jews were the chosen people, they were bound someday to become masters of the world and lords of all the nations. To bring in that day, he says, some believed that some great celestial champion would descend upon earth. Some believed that there would arise another king of David's line, and although all the old glories would revive, some believed that God himself would break directly into history as he had done in the past, by supernatural means. But then he says this, but in contrast to all that, there were some few people who were known as the quiet in the land. They had no dreams of violence and of power and of armies with banners. They believed in a life of constant prayer and quiet watchfulness until God should come. All their lives, they waited quietly upon God. Simeon was one such individual. And his devotion is actually why he's in Luke's gospel at all. Because the only reason we would know the story is because Mary would have told Luke. And evidently this interaction had an impact on her. 
He longed for and imagined God's peace in a totally countercultural way, with, with a, a humility and an expectant posture. Although, I'm sure there were days when the poor guy just agonized over the wait. Waiting can be really hard. Earlier this past week, my dad was scheduled to get an MRI done. And as many have experienced, this isn't the kind of appointment that you just willy-nilly reschedule or or show up late to. (laughs) He'd been waiting a long time for this day to come. In this part of the world, right, it's a, we've, many of us have experienced this, it's a common conversation to have, to talk about waiting for an appointment, waiting for an MRI or a CAT scan to be done, waiting for the next step in treatment, for a call from the doctor, waiting, waiting, waiting. The waiting can be agonizing because we're eager, often fearfully eager, to hear about the results, to hear what the next steps are, to hear what the plan is. Now, imagine being informed that you'll get your MRI, but it'll happen sometime before you die. Excuse me? <laughs> um, no. You, you, you mean there's no time frame that I can expect? Nothing certain, nothing that I can put on the calendar, nothing that you're actually going to tell me of certainty that I can hold on to? How am I supposed to live with that? Well, in much the same way, that's what Simeon did. That's what Simeon was asked to do. Obviously, what he was waiting for was quite different. But he received his promise. He'd received a promise, but with no certainty as to when it would be fulfilled. And what sustained him in the waiting was that his devotion, his devoutness, if I can put it that way, was rooted in the person with the plan rather than the plan itself. His devotion wasn't rooted in the plan, but it was rooted in the person who had the plan. And perhaps this is why it's so important for us, like Simeon would have had to do, so important for us to continually remind ourselves of what God has promised to us. And then to watch for him and for his action in our own prayers and in our own lives of devotion and watchfulness. Remember what I've promised you, he would say to us. Remember that I am with you that I will be with you, that I will sustain you, that I won't leave you alone, that I will fulfill my promises to you even if you can't see it right now. I mean, remember what the prophet Isaiah wrote, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. In other words, when the storm is going on, I will be there. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you go through chaos in life, you won't be alone. When you feel trapped in it, it won't overwhelm you. Over and over in scripture, we are reminded of those promises. And Simeon would have had to constantly been reminding himself, regularly, devoutly, and communally reminding himself, and inspiring us to then do that as well with ourselves and with one another, to remind ourselves of the promises of God. And we do that in partnership with the Holy Spirit, because this whole encounter between Simeon and the parents at the temple would not have happened had it not been for the Holy Spirit. The text says that the Holy Spirit was on him. 
And verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And you know, perhaps Simeon hadn't actually just been gifted with this. Maybe he asked for it. Maybe he actually asked for it. In his longing, he just straight up asked the Lord, would you grant this to me? That, that all my waiting and my watchfulness would see fruit? Would you give that to me? Would you grant that to me? That I, that I would actually see your Messiah, your plan, your rescue mission before my journey ends. Would you let me see a glimpse of that beginning, that bud of new life, before my life ends? Would you let me see that? It kind of begs the question, what would we ask of God in that position? Out of our devotion, out of our watchfulness, out of our waiting, what would we ask God? If we could be like Simeon here. What does your faith make you long for? Long to see. Long to see before the end of your own life. Do we even let ourselves have these kind of longings? Any one of us could do this. But do we even think to ask him? The Lord granted Simeon's greatest desire. And the Spirit, again, the Spirit, gives him a friendly nudge. Verse 27, the Spirit moved him. Now, now is the time, Simeon. Go to the temple courts. And, you know, he probably had to look around, a few different families, you know, scanning the crowds before his eyes landed on the young new parent couple, Mary holding the baby. And his eyes welled up and his chest felt like it was going to, his heart felt like it was going to pop right out of his chest. And he rushed at Mary and Joseph and he asked, can I hold your baby? Can I hold him? And then we have these words. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You may now dismiss me in peace. Simeon could now have a peace of mind because the item of hope, the the hope of his longing, the object of his longing had finally come. The person had come. The person who was born only to die so that we could all be born again and never die. That person was here. And Simeon's words remind us similarly that this calling that we have in this Advent season, our our calling in this Advent Christmas season, like he did, is to be bearers of that peace, to be advocates of that peace, to expect peace, the kind of peace that only the babe who was born in Bethlehem can bring. I said this a couple weeks ago, but all of us, all of us, in the deepest longings of our heart, 
in some way, shape, or form, want peace. That's what every single one of us actually longs for. We want peace. The kind of peace that goes beyond understanding, because it's the only peace that will ever solve anything. Peace that brings a peace of mind. Peace for the journey. Peace in the chaos. Peace for our loved ones. Peace in the conflicts that we just can't control. Peace that actually allows Palestinians and Israelis to live together in mutual love and respect. Peace that stops world tyrants like Putin from actually wanting control and craving power. Peace that stops shooters from going into school buildings. Peace that stops parents from leaving their families, fathers from abandoning their children. Peace that heals all illnesses where there are no longer any failed relationships or or bitter disappointments, no more leading or cheating or offering false promises, no more trauma or crises. That kind of peace is what we all long for. A couple weeks ago, there was an accident on Highway 1. I was on my way to work. I had just merged on to the highway just before the Portman Bridge. We, we lived just on the other side in Coquitlam. And on the other side, going westbound, was this huge pileup of traffic. And I only had a few seconds to glance to the side, but what I saw, there was an accident. Uh, an SUV had flipped over the median, and the, the doors were crunched in, the, the windows were all shattered. And in the few seconds that I had to look, I counted uh, two fire trucks, I think three police cars, and then there was an ambulance coming westbound trying to get through all the traffic, so it had happened fairly recently. I saw firefighters running back and forth between vehicles, sorting through the chaos, running on autopilot because they've been trained to know how to instinctively best handle this situation that they've been put in, right? They've been trained to know how to best handle the situation. And just seeing that, I must have been thinking about Advent, because seeing that made me suddenly realize that our first responders are some of the best exemplars of those who find peace in chaos. Our first responders are some of the best exemplars of establishing peace amid chaos. And perhaps perhaps Simeon here, we can almost see him as as a kind of first responder, He's the first to run to the scene. Someone whose life was motivated around finding peace in the chaos, searching for signs of hope, waiting to help, waiting to be called into action, waiting for that that phone call, waiting to be summoned when all of his waiting and preparation and training will finally be used for God's glory. For that snapshot moment in history. Because really, Apart from the shepherds and their sheep, and maybe the little drummer boy, Simeon is actually the first one to respond to the coming of Jesus. To truly respond in the promptings of the Holy Spirit to Christ's coming. And what he reveals to us very early on is the kind of gospel peace that this Messiah is going to bring. It's not going to be one of pomp and circumstance, as we already talked about, or, or... violence and revolution, what all the other false messiahs were about, it will be instead one of global reach and light. Light, not darkness. 
All nations will see or hear of this Messiah. Beginning, he's not just going to be a light for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Simeon actually says that he's going to be the glory of Israel. In other words, he's the shining glory of Israel, the, the climax of Israel, the resolution of Israel, the coming together of Israel's story, the, the highest treasure and value of Israel. But he will be a light to the Gentiles. He is the glory of Israel. He will be a light to the Gentiles. His reach will start in Israel, but it will ultimately go past all the boundary lines and out into the world. Verse 31, God has prepared his Messiah. God has prepared him like a feast being laid out at a wedding. And the host is standing there waiting for his guests from all nations to come. Guests who have not necessarily any context for him, as we even heard this morning from our new members, who have no necessarily context for him and yet are invited to come and to find out what this Messiah is all about. That's the hope that Simeon's song offers. And his song then, after his song, he offers some commentary on it, and then says specifically to Mary in verse 34, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So he does this, he says this beautiful song offering hope, but then he gives a little bit of commentary. Hey, just a warning. <laughs> this, is, this is kind of what it's going to look like. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against. In other words, he won't be accepted by everyone. Many who are mighty and high will fall. Many who are humble and low will rise. It's the tipsy-topsy-turvy nature of his kingdom. We know that. So on the one hand, Simeon is first able here to bring Mary some comfort as to who this Christ child is that she's carrying. But on the other hand, he also warns her that this Messiah will have a very different kind of story. One that won't go over very well with everyone, even herself. Because then he finishes very eerily in verse 35 with these words, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Just the words that every mother wants to hear, right? Thanks, Simeon. No mother ever wants to think of anything bad happening to their children. Ever. This is what we worry about all the time. <laughs> we don't want anything bad ever to happen to our children. My sister-in-law once said it this way, that watching your children is like watching your heart walking outside of your body. <laughs> right? We feel this. We know this. No parent would ever look at their child and think, oh, maybe one day you'll die for humanity. That's fine. No one would say that. Mary had no skippy clue. No clue what Jesus' fate would be. No one, not even Mary, would have ever imagined what her son would have to endure as God's Messiah, as God's suffering servant. As preacher Daryl Johnson once put it, for every day that followed after this interaction with Simeon, Mary would wonder what the sword was that would pierce her. And it can therefore be said that Mary actually began to suffer for the Messiah even before the Messiah suffered, because she knew. 
She knew something was coming. She could, in no way could she grasp these words at that time, but she knew she needed to remember them. Boy, did they stick with her. For those of us, for those among us who have experienced the loss of a child or know of somebody who has lost a child or a nephew or a niece perhaps, there are perhaps no fitting words other than maybe these ones that a sword has pierced your own heart. That a sword has pierced your soul. There's no words. Mary would have to hold on to these and remember them in order to actually be able to enter into the destiny that her own son would have. I mentioned earlier that in God's history of salvation, only one human was ever destined to be a sacrifice. Only one. Only one was meant to die. A once and for all, never needing to be repeated sacrifice. The only baby in history who was ever meant to have that destiny put on him because only he, as God and man, was the one who could actually bear the weight of that responsibility. Only he could actually solve the problem that for all of us was actually unsolvable. Only he could do that. Only he was the one who could bring peace into the chaos of our own existence. And he offers us, he offers us In this Advent season and and every day of the year, but especially in this season, we remember that he offers us, as he did to Simeon, the ability to live and to die in that peace. Knowing that that kind of peace exists, knowing that it's available to see the glory before we actually see the glory, to know what to expect. A kind of certainty that we often aren't offered, if ever, in this life. So what then, what then would it take for us to be able to have such peace of mind that we could actually repeat for ourselves these same words that Simeon said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. What would it take for us to be able to say that? Or perhaps a better question before we can even get there is what's what's keeping us from truly being at peace? What's holding you back from receiving the comfort of Christ's coming, from exercising a kind of devotion and expectancy like Simeon so that you too can be a bearer of peace? And if you are maybe exercising that kind of expectancy, maybe a few of you are, Where might God be calling you then to bring that certainty of peace into the chaos? Because once we've achieved peace, we need to do something with it. We need to be bearers of peace. Not to add to the chaos, which often, unfortunately, we do, but to bring a Christ-inspired peace that actually calms chaos. How do we be bearers of peace in chaos? to bring calmness to chaos, to bring peace. What might that look like? You know, in in any accident or trauma or 911 call, first responders know, they know, that what they might enter into when they reach the scene is chaos, utter chaos. They know that, They, they expect chaos. 
but their presence ushers in hope and comfort and peace. They are the voice calling out in the darkness for those who are trapped. They are the ones who bring hope for healing, hope for rescue, hope for a light in the darkness. And perhaps, perhaps God has you in a situation right now that requires exactly this, where you're, you're waiting expectantly to be summoned into a situation or you've already got something in front of you and, and you need to be still and wait for the Holy Spirit to nudge you and tell you when the right timing is. Perhaps you don't have a context like this, but he's preparing you, sort of, you know, in the, what do you, what do you call that, um, oh, my Atlanta, what do you call the booth when you're in a baseball game before you go out to pitch or to, to swing? The dugout. dugout, thank you. Maybe he's got you in the dugout, waiting to go up to bat when your turn will be. I don't, never use sports analogies, this is why. <laughs> Maybe he's got you waiting, though. Maybe he's got you in a place, actually, of waiting and training and preparing yourself for when you can be that person for someone else. Whatever your circumstances are, Simeon's song reminds us of our responsibility to be bearers of peace, to wait and to look for opportunities to bring peace into the chaos. The peace of Christ. The peace that passes beyond understanding. You know, actually, this is why at the start of every service, we pass the peace of Christ to one another. We so often just get wrapped up in language and, and habitual regularity, but this is what we're passing. When I pass the peace of Christ to you, when I greet you on a Sunday morning, what I'm hoping for you is to offer maybe a little bit of peace in your chaos. Just a little bit. You know, this could actually reform the whole way that we think about that part of the surface. That might remind us all of this next week. That's what we're doing. This is why it's a communal thing. This is why we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we gather here on Sunday mornings. Is to remind ourselves of the promises of God, of the peace of God that he has brought us, and to share that peace with one another. This is what we do. This is who we are. For Simeon, he had waited a long time. Now it was time to be at peace. And God had finally given it to him. That same peace, friends, is offered to each and every one of us. We can long for it. We can hope for it. We can expect it. We can because he is our peace. And may he be the peace that our hearts most dearly long for. Would you pray with me? Living God, we just want to take a few moments here in calmness and in stillness to expect your peace. Father, we get so wrapped up in the hubbub of the season that we sometimes forget to marvel at the implications of this story. 
And we thank you for characters like Simeon in scripture who remind us of what it looks like, what it means to truly and expectantly and humbly long for your coming. Teach us, Father, in this season, as we long for your son to come, as we long for the day that he was born to arrive, may we also, in same fashion, long for his coming again, for that peace to be made full, for your glory to fill the whole earth. May this be what we are about in this season. And would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to wait expectantly for your coming. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.